we walked through chapter 3 of Ephesians, and one of the focuses was on unity, togetherness of Gentile Christians and of the main body in Jerusalem, basically of all Christians. And there was also this emphasis we've been harping on for a couple of weeks where we've been pointing out the emphasis on ministry being part of the grace. So grace, when he says we've received it, has two things going on that he's highlighted so far. Grace being the thing that saves us, but ministry being a grace. And we've been asking ourselves, are we stewards of grace? And that's going to become important as we continue on in Ephesians. But we're still stuck in this issue of unity. We looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 last week. And if you remember, he begins now the ethical teachings after three chapters of talking about what God has done. He begins with a therefore. So now he's turning to say, in light of all these things, therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. An emphasis on calling again, but in, in this part of Ephesians, now that we're talking about the paranesis, the ethical teaching, he's saying live a life worthy of what we've been talking about. How? And he begins by giving us these words. Be humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. Basically, as I said last week, a more, a more accurate way of saying it to maybe our ears would be put up with one another in love. Not just bear with one another in their burdens, but literally put up with one another. Something that I don't think we're doing very well. In the church and in this group. Our focus last week was asking the question, in light of all this unity, and he focuses on unity. If you remember, I highlighted all the times that he had used the word one in just this verse One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And it's also this emphasis of father of all, over all, through all, and in all. If you know anything about the way that Greek is written, this repetition is increasing. Every time you repeat, it's almost like you're adding exponentially to the emphasis. So to repeat This concept of one this many times in a row is to increase the emphasis each time. There is an emphasis here on us being one. This is part of a creed, most likely, that Paul has pulled on. And many of the early creeds in the church started taking and adding these words one into the creeds to kind of create a creedal formula. If you've listened to the Nicene Creed, you might see it says, like, I believe in one God. And they insert the word one into each of the statements because they're trying to emphasize this unity, not only of God in a tri-unity, but also the unity of the body, like the church, like us. So last week, as a practical matter, we talked to each other and said, why are there so many denominations? Why is the church so fragmented? There's these verses that we put up, if you remember John 17, 22, and 23. Jesus was praying that the way that they would know, Father, that you sent me, is because they would have complete unity. We would show the world that this could be done. This would be an evidence that I am who I say I am, that they would have complete unity. And we lamented the fact that there is not any unity in the church. We also hearken back earlier to Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul is saying this 
thing. The church is the way that God is going to demonstrate His wisdom to all those in the heavenly realms. Whether that means all the dark forces of spirits that are in the heavenly realms who are watching, or whatever it means, God is demonstrating His wisdom through the church. And so here we are at that point again that I asked you to think about this week and kind of ponder on, which is, why is the church so fragmented? I read an article this week that was talking about some positive things that come out of denominations. And the basic point of the article was, maybe denominations aren't so bad. Maybe they're a good thing because every time we have arguments, rather than continue infighting, we just decide to go our separate ways. That was basically the gist of the article. So maybe denominations help us to make peace with one another. Maybe they're a way that we could just say, you know what, rather than show the world that we're always fighting, we'll just show the world that we could separate peacefully. I don't know if that's the kind of unity that Ephesians is talking about. I don't know if that's the kind of unity that Jesus was praying about in the book of John. I think that's the kind of unity that we've come up with. And I wonder, like I said last week, if some of it isn't born out of this kind of entrepreneurship that we all seem to have. Like We want to start our ministry, our idea. We want to be at the center of everything we do. It's all about us. And all the different people that I know that want to be the center of their own impact on the world as opposed to figuring out what is God already doing? Where is he already moving? How do I join what God is doing? And doesn't that sound like Ephesians? Joining what God is doing, being in Christ, rather than hoping that Christ comes along and catches up to whatever it is you have in mind. Okay, so last week's focus was on the disunity that we have in many of our churches today. You have any other comments from last week that they want to add that you thought about this week? Yeah. No, I just want to highlight what you said last week, just that again, how many more denominations have come along in this century. Like that to me would be the more troubling thing because I, as we kind of talked about, I think there is a place for denominations, but to have so many and to have that pace pick up so rapidly is the more difficult part because there's so many. Why, why is any new ones now? I mean, there's just too many, you know, that's troubling. It is troubling, I think, because we said last week that some of them began historically, right? Like you have some people that came from Germany, some from Scotland. Like as the Reformation spread, there were just different expressions of the churches. But it is kind of strange that if that article was right, that there was maybe, let's say, 2,000 denominations at the beginning of the last century, that now there's close to 40,000. Just in one century that we'd have that many splits. But I think the deeper question is why? Like what happened? Is it because, as I suspect that every one of us needs to be in control of our own little piece of the kingdom and can't share that position, that leadership, that impact, whatever it is, that we constantly have the need. I can't imagine there's that many doctrinal differences that would go from 2,000, which is already a lot, or whatever the number is, to 40,000. That just seems like too many. I don't even know that there's that many doctrines to disagree over for us to do that. But that being said, it's it's an interesting observation. Joseph? I mean, I would think it would be some of it, not all of it, would be related to technology and more more information, more freedom to pass information. You look at telegraph, telephone, computer, internet, all those things, um, higher literacy rates. There's just more out there for people to chew on, people to read, and so that allows them to form their own opinions and split off uh, more easily. That's probably true, and we've encouraged people to think for themselves and to have access to the scriptures, and that's been a recent development, too, that arose from the Reformation. It just seems to be accelerating, and maybe it is technology. I think even the idea, by the way, of non-denominational churches, 
is kind of a curious thing because it seems like they're not really about trying to rise above you know, doctrinal differences. They're not even, in my mind, about trying to unify the church to get over denominational like issues. It seems like they're just an idea of somebody to say, I want to plant my own thing and I don't want to be responsible to anybody. I, I really feel there's a part of that. Like when, if you went down the path and said to somebody who was starting a non-denominational church or a church that was leaving a denomination to just say, hey, we're no longer affiliated, I, I really want to find out, you know, is it because you feel like we really are one in the body of Christ? Is that really the driving force or is it just because you would rather just kind of do your thing, which I suspect there's a lot of that in there, free of any kind of strings that go with it? Jeremy? Yes. Just thinking about like the Reformation as an example, in that Luther, you know, wasn't particularly interested in starting a new denomination. And if you kind of step back from the like the religious perspective and you just look at the kind of historical things going on, it's it's almost it's depressing to like look at the German princes who just saw an opportunity to kind of shake the yoke of you know some oppression, some political oppression, and then couch it in this kind of religious well we'll point out with this and, and that's not to say that that was you know the prime one it's just it makes it sad when you're like you know the, these kind of prime movers which which did help this reformation happen you know weren't always doing it for the best of reasons and you have kind of the primary reformer who isn't really interested in, in starting a new thing he's really just interested in reforming you know the, the current institution and you know, I would also Joseph made me think of like there's like the double-edged sword, right? Of of, ha- of of having access to scriptures, and that having access doesn't mean you have understanding; it just means you have access to it. And I wonder how many you know people you know, you, you read something and you don't understand it, and then you, know, you go and you start your own thing you know, around this thing you don't really understand. And, I mean, we could, I guess, I don't know if cults fall in that place or not, but it was just a little bit scary when you think about how so many people have said, oh yeah, I can read that, and, and this is how I understand it, and I'm going to start a, a whole thing around it. And the question would be, like, what provides a check and balance in that situation? Like, if there's no, if there is no kind of denominational authority to say, hey, you know, you're not thinking right, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that there's... 20, 30, 30,000, however many there are, different ways of thinking about it. Now, some of them might just be wrong, but no one can tell them that. And I, I don't know how many of them actually, like I said, are really over a doctrinal difference, or as opposed to just, we just don't agree with those people, or we want to go a different direction, or we have our own ideas. And again, that's somebody's got to really address those issues. I wonder if we did bring Martin Luther here to look at the, the way that the Reformation has turned out. I, I, I don't think he could ever imagine this, but I wonder if he could imagine the result of all the denominations that, that resulted from it and, and, and how he would have perceived that. You know, it's very interesting, that period of history that you're talking about, like the political motivations, but also a very interesting period of time where the Roman Catholic Church even invited the Reformers to try and come early on to explain themselves and to see if there was ways that they could incorporate some of this. Not everyone was against it, uh, but there was already this infighting right from the beginning that prevented even anyone from attending. For example, the councils of Trent and all those different things. So it is what it is. 
The question I asked you, though, last week was, how do you follow the ethical teaching of Paul? How do you become somebody who is going to keep the unity of the Spirit? I said last week that the unity of the Spirit is given. We are in Christ, so we should be unified. The Spirit is already offering that unity to us. And the admonition here is not like, hey, let's unify. It's to keep the unity that was given. We haven't done a good job there. But the question is, since we're dealing now with the more ethical teaching, how are you going to do that? How do you do that? I'm going to tweak the question just a little bit tonight. I really think there's a serious question we should think about. It's easy to discuss this question when it's abstract and it's out there. Like, oh, there's all these denominations. Oh, there's all these hard-headed people that can't get along. There's all these people that are starting their own thing that have their own issues. Let's bring it home tonight a little bit, kind of as our closing reflection. How do we foster unity in this group, in this small body? How do we take it from being abstract about churches and denominations that can't get along and deal with the fact that if we follow what Paul is saying, we also are one in Christ. We also should find our identity holy by being one in Christ together. We also share one body. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And he's God over all of us, all of us in here. How do we do that? Because I can tell you that just like it's easy to identify that other people are not doing it well among churches, I don't know that we're doing it well here. If we were one, if we were one in Christ in our local expression of who we are together, what would that look like? Because I think it would look different than it does now. We come here sometimes, I feel like, because we participate in something or we belong to maybe whatever it is we're programming as opposed to because we're unified by the same God. The way we share with one another, or more accurately, don't share with one another. The way we withhold from one another. Whether it's our time or our love or our attention or our sympathy or empathy or even our tangible like things like our our money, our hospitality, like we're stingy with one another. We hold back from each other. Even in the way that we pay attention to one another, maybe casually. Like there is no way that these words could apply to the body if it didn't mean that we were supposed to break down even those dividing walls. Not just the walls between Gentiles and Jewish Christians, not just the walls that exist between churches that we can point the finger and talk about all the people who can't get along. We have to bring it home and talk about the people in our midst who share together or don't and how we become one in that way. How we learn to put down some of our hostility or our fear or our awkwardness around one another or our inability to maybe openly share in each other's lives in a way that actually matters so that we could say we have one Lord, one God, one hope, one spirit, one baptism, like we are all one together. I mean, the concept of us dwelling together in Christ for all time after this life is over, what's that going to mean when we have the privilege of being around one another now? Are we sick of each other already so that in eternity we'll just kind of like look the other way, like when we see each other, like just kind of move the other direction? And I know there's great relationships, by the way, that form in this group. 
But there are also others that I think should form. And for us to come to find our identity together in Christ, even in this, so that we're not unified by a desire to say, I'd like to come to be part of this program, or I'd like to come because I like two or three or four other people, or I like it because I get this out of it. Maybe it's because what else in life could be greater than being around the others who are unified in Christ like you and me? I feel this in my own life sometimes. I've been thinking through it. I compare like what we have in this group or in my church or in any other place where believers gather to my family or to friends that don't know Christ. And I have to guard against myself sometimes because I know that the temptation is to do what I always warn other Christians about doing, of just huddling together with other Christians. And I live in that tension and I'm kind of glad that I'm in that tension because it means that when I'm around people who love Christ, who are in Christ, I feel like that's the place where I'm most at home. That's where I would rather be. I would rather be with other people who know Christ, who want to talk about him, talk about his church, talk about the issues that go on in this world from that perspective, who know him, because I feel like that's home. And for me, I have to guard against the temptation of making sure that it doesn't become too comfy, that I forget that there are other people who don't yet know him, who are not in Christ yet. But it's one of the greatest joys of my life is being around that. And I compare that sometimes with other situations where I feel like at a loss of words because I feel stifled. I can't talk about the joy of being in Christ and share all the things that we share together by being in Christ. What about you? How do you feel about it? Yes. Um, I remember last week when we were talking about the broader question, something that I brought up as the solution. I don't want it to sound cute or trite, but I do think that loving Christ and loving others is the only solution. And I know that all of us in this room love Christ, but I don't know that we're there yet where we all love each other. I think that's the issue. Yeah. It'd be interesting to unpack, I mean, because I think... Paul tells us right there, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So to unpack the idea of what is the bond of peace, you know, and how does that, what are the practical implications of, of that, and how do you enter into peace with it? I mean, there's a lot of questions that would flow out of that, um, you know, but that would at least, I mean, that's what he's telling them to do, so we should probably figure out what that means. He's given us some clue already about this, though, right? And that is when he says earlier that Christ is our peace, right? He is the one who has made peace for us. And we looked at it from not just peace with God, but, I mean, he probably brings peace with one another. So if you take Jill's love God, love others, like, he is peace. He's not just the means of peace, like, he is peace. So the bond of peace would be the same way of saying being bound in Christ is the way that I would read that because he's made that point already. So again, all of this unity in the body has a consequence that I don't feel like we appreciate. I feel like in churches in general, not just in here, it's not like we're like the derelicts that are sitting in detention having to hear this conversation about not being one in Christ. I think that even when I just kind of check my own soul as I go to different things in Christianity, whether it's a church or, or, or even a, in a classroom. Like I feel like we're going there for a reason, but we never really consider our oneness in Christ, and it certainly doesn't play out. 
and we're not going to fix it all tonight, but I feel like it's something we should at least bring home because we can't walk by this by just pointing out the disunity in the church without bringing it down to even this level and realizing we have our own disunity here in this group. And there's many of us who have very little concept of who each other are or have very little connection to each other's lives. We've tried to do better. You know that for the last few years we've done things like Wednesday nights and spent time trying to serve together, trying to give together, trying to eat together, trying to grow together so that we can build some of that. It's not just to break down like awkwardness. It's actually so that we could become more unified together. But it's very easy to even do those things and just feel like you have to out of obligation instead of out of the joy of the fact that we have this. How do we tweak our own minds to think that coming to this group, even on a Sunday night or on a Wednesday or on a Friday to go to Door of Hope, is not something that we're doing because we should. It's something we do because we can't wait to get to because the people that we're one with are going to be there. And we're going to share in such a way that it's the fullest expression of who we are. Because if you said, who are you, you would say, I'm one in Christ. That would be your response. That's an ideal I know that we would have to strive our whole life to get there. We'd have to be transformed by the Spirit, but it's the Spirit that gives us unity. It's Christ that is our peace. He's the one that bonds us to be one with Him. And our whole identity for our life with Him is that thing, being one in Christ, that Paul has been talking about over and over and over again through the book of Ephesians. And now focuses on this unity. Yes? I'm just having a lot of difficulty trying to understand what that even though I know Paul's been talking about it the whole book of like what unity is and being one in Christ and like but I honestly don't practically know what that looks like on a very specific singular level. Like because we can talk about and about like, well yeah, like you said, it's like Wednesday nights where you get to like know each other and like be involved in each other's lives and but is that really it? Because like that just more seems like being friends and I don't think that's what unity is because I, I feel like that's a weird concept of unity. There's an idea of like loving each other, but I, I still don't know if that's that's all that unity is. And so like I'm having trouble practically this. And so I know it's maybe taking a step back when I'm like well, broadly, what does unity mean? Because we do talk and have very different theological views in this room, and we still meet together and don't like hate each other. And so are we unified then? Like I don't know what unity is now. Okay. I think I like that you can pan this out to the larger to understand the smaller because I've experienced that a lot when you do mission trips and you show up and there are just people who are Christians and and hopefully you experience that sense of like they're they are brothers and sisters immediately like there's a certain love, there's a certain action that you can immediately have to say, like, I'm coming across the world or you're coming across the world to me and the reason is because we serve the same God and, and, and you can be immediately unified and care for somebody who you totally don't know because of that. And I think we lose sight of that in the monotonous inner you know, relations that people have where hopefully what we would be able to do in this group is to be able to have a deep love that transcends the different commonalities or discommonalities or or things like that that immediately binds you to one another and says this is a brother or a sister in Christ and we are in the same mission serving the same God together Uh, and I definitely experienced even the strangeness you know when I first came to this group they're like no I have to say a lot of people personality just I used to hang out with lots of athletes and and, or or certain groups of people is like 
you know, most of the people here, they just, these aren't normally people I've hung out with, but I didn't, not enough to say like, oh, I'm this big unity guy, but I, I was able at least to give it a shot because God binds us together with people who aren't the same and, and, and our love for him is supposed to at least allow us to say, wow, but I could still probably get to know these people and, and we have this commonality and let's see if relationships form anyways. Now that doesn't guarantee I would have been a part of this group and it should be that way because Christ brings us together and makes it, it's okay because you are my children, you know, you guys are brothers and sisters. I think the unity that, that Paul will prescribe even further as we stretch into Ephesians is already seen in his image of the body, which he uses in other epistles as well. So going back to Philip, your question, we're unified by being in one body. Like in this room right now, if you just took the people that are sitting in this room, do we all feel that we are unified enough as one body in Christ that we would share openly with one another? I don't mean share like verbally. I mean share like physically with everything we have as if we all belong to the same exact body? Or do we, in the local body of churches, treat ourselves as distinct, separate? Each of us is an individual with our own like rights and our own possessions and our own responsibilities and our own goals and our own views and our own everything. Everything is, belongs to us individually. There's no unity. And that's what I'm trying to drive towards. Pretty much like physical possessions. Like, I, I wouldn't trust many people with all my physical possessions because they're irresponsible. Like, and I don't know if it's a bad thing. Like, where I would just choose, like, someone, even if I know them pretty well, like, I look at their life and I see how they treat their possessions. And I'm like, well, this is completely irresponsible. I could give you everything I have and then it'd be gone. And then I'd have nothing. And right. I couldn't give anything to anyone else. And that's disunity. And here's why. I'm irresponsible with my money. And yet I keep keeping it to myself because I'm a unified person. And even though I sin, and even though I'm irresponsible, and even though I do bad things, and even though I disgust myself some days with the things that I do, I forgive myself every day, and I love myself every day, and I still give myself everything I give, and I consider myself one body, and I don't hold it against me. That's the distinction. And if that doesn't make sense, what I'm saying is those words don't make sense. He's not talking about a theoretical body or a theoretical spirit or maybe theoretically be nice if we all got along. He's talking about us being one. And we are far from it. By the way, so is everybody else. I mean, it's part of our condition as humans. But I want to point it out because it would be irresponsible to point out that churches are disunified across their spectrum and not realize that we ourselves, people in this room, would think it was nuts to be that open with one another and be that unified, that we stingily hold everything to ourselves because of issues like that, and that's exactly the opposite of what he's saying. Yes? Yeah, I was just thinking about what Paul was saying. I mean, like, as many of you know, I think very differently about many things. Um, and I suppose one logical conclusion I could come to is I could say to John, or Morgan, you're just irresponsible in the way that you think. I mean, really, I can't believe that you think that way. And, incidentally, I never feel that way, which is good. I mean, I don't have to, I've never really felt that way. I might really disagree with something, but what I feel is, and, and I think not just from you two, but from others as well, is that there's something more important than how we think about some issue. 
And that, it, what it is, is grace, and it's love, and it's a desire to be unified, even if we don't say those words. Like, I know that I have different perspectives on things in here. And that doesn't prevent me at all from ever thinking that I can't be in communion with everyone else. And I've always felt that to be a unique characteristic of Exodus. Um, although there are times where it's very frustrating. Um, and, I, and so for me, it's to resist the temptation of saying, well, that's just irresponsible. Um, it's not productive to how we support one another. It's not productive to um, encouraging one another. And it's not productive to, to uh, uh, giving grace to each other and giving love to each other. Like, to be extenders of those things. And so that's why I, and I go back to what Jill was saying. It's a, it's like, that's a powerful idea that I think we just kind of dismiss, you know, to love one another. Like, if it's the source of our interactions, then the issue is not irresponsibility. It's how do we work things out with one another in love? It, 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 for, it reframes the whole thing. And we're not there yet. I'm just more or less speaking from my own experience in the last few years here. I don't know that I can tell you how we would achieve such such unity. I can tell you, though, that it's exactly what Paul is describing and prescribing. Now he's doing both. He's describing what's there and saying, therefore, in light of this, then this is what you should do. Live a life worthy of your calling. What was that calling? You were called by God. According to Paul, you were chosen before the foundation of the earth, before you even knew anything, before you were even created, before humanity was created, before the creation itself. He chose to save us. And like in light of that calling, that is the calling he's talking about, in light of that, how do we live? As individuals, clinging to everything that we have, distancing ourselves from one another? Clearly not. He's prescribing a life of unified identity in Christ. And has gone so far as to say there is no life if you are not in Christ. But if we're in this unified life in Christ together, how is it possible we could remain separate? I mean, we do, practically. But it almost makes no sense. Because that's where life is found. So it means that by being separate in some way, we're not really in Christ as one with him. Because if we were all one with him, we'd be one with one another. It's that kind of unity. I think Jeremy brings up some good points. I was actually thinking about Jeremy specifically when I was putting some of these thoughts together because there are a lot of places where somebody like Jeremy and I could disagree. But it doesn't affect the way that we feel I believe, we've even talked about this, unified in the way we care for one another, the way we appreciate one another, the way we even lift one another up or challenge one another, and I think share with one another. You know that later on in Ephesians he's going to talk about the concept of submission, which comes into it, and it starts here, in this concept of first us being one before we can even understand something as radical as submission. I'll leave it there. I just want you to think through that a little bit tonight because I don't think we could kind of trudge through this without pointing that out. And I think it's very important that we take just a moment to reflect, like, what does it mean for us here in this room to be unified?
to build up a love for one another that says, yes, I am in Christ, I am in Christ forever, and so are you. And between us, there should be nothing that distinguishes our love for one another. And our purposes even, our ministries, the things that we've been wired, our giftings, our talents, our thoughts, our beliefs, even our doctrinal statements may differ. But there is only one Christ, and there's only one body, and if we're in it, we need to be unified. Just take a second to think through that for a moment in silence, and then let me close in prayer, and I'll open it up with just these thoughts. Let's pray. Spirit, you are the author of unity, and I pray right now that you would just work in our hearts for a moment in the silence to give us illumination as to how we might become more unified in you. Lord, I do believe that in you all things are possible. And I also believe that you've never asked us to do more than we are able to do. It may not be easy. It may require a complete breakdown of who we are and the things that we cling to. But Lord, you tell us that life comes in you. And I want that life. And you tell us that we are the body and that your wisdom is going to be demonstrated through that body. That the witness to you is going to be made through that unity. Lord, I want to be found as part of that body and as part of that unity to be that witness and to be part of the demonstration of your wisdom. May your will be done and Lord, may ours be bent to conform to yours. Pray this in your name. Amen.